Klaus Kessner joining us from uh, the Human Pancreas Analysis Program, HPAP, which is part of the uh, Human Islet Research Network, HERN, and he's coming to us from uh, UPenn. Um, HPAP is responsible for performing deep phenotype of the human endocrine pancreas to better understand the cellular and molecular events that proceed and lead to beta cell loss and or dysfunction in type 1 diabetes, T1D, and type 2 diabetes, type T2D. The NIDBK supports HPAP through multiple NIH grants. A little bit about Dr. Klaus Kessner. He's the professor of genetics at UPenn School of Medicine and a member of Penn's Institute for Diabetes, Obesity, and Metabolism. He received his PhD from Johns Hopkins uh, University School of Medicine and completed a research fellowship at the German Cancer Research uh, Center in Heidelberg. Um, his work is focused on understanding the molecular mechanisms of islet cell function and glucose homeostasis. His laboratory pioneered the development of functional genomics tools applicable to the study of the endocrine pancreas. Currently, he is the co-director of the NIDDK-funded uh, Human Pancreas Analysis Program, HPAP, which we're going to talk about today. And this focuses on improved understanding of both T1 and T2 diabetes. Um, they are using deep profiling of pancreatic islets and other relevant tissues from deceased organ donors. Um, so I'm sure that everyone feels very thankful to those families who have um, donated in that capacity. He served on multiple review panels for JDRF and the NIH, um, NIDDK. He serves as co-editor-in-chief of Cellular and Molecular Gastroenterology and Hepatology, CMGH, and on the editorial boards of Molecular Metabolism and is associate editor of the Journal of, Journal of Clinical Investigation. In 2017, he received the Royal Green Award for Outstanding Research in the Endocrine, from the Endocrine Society. Thank you very much for joining us, and we really look forward to hearing about your role at HPAP, the progress of HPAP, and the future for HPAP. Um, so yes, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much, Monica, and thanks everybody for uh, joining. I will try to share my screen. Yes, so thanks again for, everyone for being here. I'll tell you a little bit about the Human Pancreas Analysis Program and how we're trying to enable new insights into type 1 diabetes. So when we think about the pathogenesis of type 1 diabetes, this is sort of the Eisenbart model, which was developed some 30 years ago or so, which uh, tries to summarize the events that actually happen. So you know, if you think of a pancreatic islet shown on the left here, you have about equal numbers of beta cells shown in green that make insulin and alpha cells shown in blue that make glucagon and a few delta cells uh, mixed in between and a few, a few minor cell types as well. Um, over time, uh, beta cells being attacked by the immune system and eventually end up with an islet which is, is the alpha and delta cells only and no more beta cells are left or very few beta cells are left. So that's what happened on the tissue level. And what happens in the patient is that we envision that functional beta cell mass slowly declines over time until at the end in stage three, the beta cells are left are not sufficient to maintain homeostasis and therefore you end up with symptomatic type one diabetes. Recently, the disease has been subdivided into three stages. Stage one would be individuals that have two auto antibodies, but are still normal glycemic. Stage two would be those where dysglycemia can be discerned already, or they're not yet openly diabetic. And of course, then stage three is the uh, symptomatic phase of disease. We know that autoimmune process proceeds during this, all these three stages. And what HPAP is trying to figure out really is what's happening before here. 
What we do know is that there's variable genetic and environmental risk for type 1 diabetes. Uh, the genetic risk we understand the best. We know that there's certain alleles of the HLA loci that are specifically um, associated with a higher risk of type 1 diabetes. Some can give a, a newborn child a 12-fold higher risk than the general population of getting type 1 diabetes. Nevertheless, of course, type 1 diabetes is not Mendelian. In other words, your genotype is not deterministic of your phenotype. There's many people with uh, risk alleles for, type, for the HLA that never develop type 1 diabetes. And conversely, there's many people with type 1 diabetes who do not have the high risk alleles. So we really don't understand completely what the predisposition, predisposing uh, variables are. Then, and as yet, rather undefined triggering event is uh, inferred that then in, initiates the autoimmune response. Many different um, factors have been invoked here, various viruses have been proposed, but uh, to the general understanding the field is that as of today, we do not know precisely what the triggering event is, otherwise we would be able to interfere with it, but we cannot. So while a lot of knowledge has been obtained from mouse models of type 1 diabetes, in particular the NOD mouse, and a lot of current work is focusing on studying uh, live patients and uh, their relatives, for instance, the very large Teddy study that collects uh, blood samples from relatives of uh, type 1 diabetes to see, to monitor at least the events that change in the bloodstream. Very little work has been focusing on actually studying the earliest events that happen in the pancreas itself. The reason for this is that it's actually impossible to safely biopsy the pancreas, since very little tissue can be obtained. So what these sort of formed the rationale for HPAP-T1D, which was initiated in 2016 through an effort of uh, the NIDDK. And these are some of the rationales that were brought up um, by the group. First, over the last 10 years, a lot of new ep experimental technologies have been developed that allow the studying of the immune, immune, immune cells, endocrine system, and the pancreatic compartment. And these require really specialized organ procurement and processing. We can, there are many experiments that we do in HPEP cannot be done on um, historic FFPE fixed tissues. It's simply not possible. So we needed to have a new program for this. Secondly, it was felt that it's critical to study both isolated islets, the pancreatic tissue, and the associated lymphoid organs of the uh, relevant patients in great detail and correlate that with clinical data. Third, Turns out that in the United States, the number of new onset type 1 diabetes cases that become available from um, organ donations is rather small, maybe less than 10, and therefore this requires a centralized organ procurement and therefore also um, tissue analysis program. And finally, we thought from the very beginning that rapid data sharing is needed to advance the knowledge about T1D pathogenesis, and I'll go into the detail of how HPAP in a very unique fashion deals with uh, data sharing. Okay. So Monica already mentioned this, but I'll repeat this briefly. The mission of HPAP T1D is to perform deep phenotyping of the human pancreas and its interaction with the immune system to better understand the cellular molecular events that precede and then lead to type 1 diabetes. The goal of HPAP is to accumulate analyze and distribute high-value data set to the diabetes research community. Of note, 
I'm only representative here of a group of our of the leadership team, which is Mark Atkinson in Florida, Ali Naji at Penn, excuse me, um, Al Powers at Vanderbilt, and myself. And these are the institutions and the grants uh, that support this work. And of course, without the donors and their families, we couldn't do anything. So how does HPAP proceed? First, donors of organ donors of interest identified through the NPOT and, uh, network and relate to the HPAP team. Um, this, of course, involves the screening for autoantibodies through um, organ procurement organizations all throughout the United States, which has been organized very well through the NPOD team in Florida. If a suitable organ donor is identified, the pancreas, but also the immune tissues are all shipped to PEN for further, further processing. Of course, out of this, we get tissues as well as and islet cells. And briefly, uh, to summarize we, the detail of uh, how we should do this, just about the pancreas, for instance, we actually collect tissue sections from the head, body, and tail of the organ. And these are processed in multiple ways to allow analysis using multiple modalities. In addition, of course, pancreatic islets are isolated, and these are um, uh, analyzed for function, for metabolic changes, and actually even for immune biology, and of course, also a lot of molecular phenotype, phenotyping is being done. The actual phenotyping is done in laboratories at Vanderbilt by Marcella Brusova and Al Powers, as well as at Penn by Doris Stoffers and myself and all the immunologists. And we perform tissue analysis, very extensive molecular profiling with the most advanced techniques available, islet physiology, uh, several methodologies for multiplex imaging and immune studies. And importantly, all these data we obtain are deposited into an integrated database called PANCDB, and these data are made available to the world immediately. All that's required is that a researcher register the name and information and agree to acknowledge that the data were obtained via the HPAP program in any publication that results from the use of these data. And that's it. So we're not uh, waiting for publication of the data, but rather we make them available as they're being produced. Can I just um, jump in here? How much data is currently sitting in that um, PankDB? Uh, literally uh, gigabytes of data. Many thousands of different files are in there. And they have different modalities from images of the tissue, from immunostaining, um, data from single cell RNA-seq um, of 250,000 cells from the pancreas, 600,000 immune cells, um, all kinds of different modalities. All those data are um, within PankDB. And the and the TCR data, for instance, is it standardized? Um, you know, and I guess sort of harmonized with other um, data profiles. Um, I believe so. Although this is the work of the immunologists that I'm less familiar with. So, um, but I I do hope so. Yes. Okay. Cool. Good. Uh, good point. So where are we this far? As of November, we've been able to obtain. 21 organ donors with type 1 diabetes, and these are in a, quite a broad age range from two years to 37. And we also have individuals um, which with no history of diabetes, about 15, again, very importantly, within the same uh, age distribution. Now, of course, people without diabetes are actually divided into two types. There are those which have no antibodies, and then there are about half of them are autoantibody positive, but still normal glycemic, 
these, of course, are very interesting individuals as we hope to be able to determine the very earliest um, events in the autoimmune attack within the tissue itself using these, uh, these tissue samples. The uh, distribution via, um, via sex is also quite nice, about half and half male and female. The only different distinction here is the autoantibody positive that's skewed towards the male, uh, male donors. And also, if you look at ethnicity, we've been able to uh, roughly represent the distribution of ethnicity within the United States with a fair uh, representation of Hispanics and African-Americans as well. So what do we actually do? Of course, immunobiology is at the center of HPEP-T1D, and the goal here is to develop an immune atlas of lymphocyte populations, their phenotype, their clonal interactions, and antigenic response epigenetic transcriptional signatures. Um, of course, blood is co collected, but blood, of course, is available to many programs like Teddy, but what they don't have in Teddy is, of course, lymphocytes from the spleen and the lymph nodes surrounding the pancreas. And here, it's quite notable how a transplant surgeon, Dr. Naji, is able to collect pancreatic lymph nodes from the tail, body, and head of the pancreas separately and, and make them available for analysis. In addition, we even obtain lymphocytes that migrate out of the eyelids during culture. So you can actually look at eyelid resident uh, immune cells as well. And down here, some of the leaders in the immunology analysis program. So phenotypes are very complex, doing in determining or deriving an immune atlas of innate cells, B cells, and CD8-4 and CD8-T cells, as well as doing functional studies. I'm just going to give you a brief, a couple of brief examples of what has been found and to actually uh, look at sort of what we call innovative immunobiology of type 1 diabetes. Because lymphocytes are collected from the supernet of the eyelid culture, these were then su su subjected to 24-color cytometry. So identify um, um, both memory and tissue-resident uh, CDAT cells. And if you do this and you compare the healthy controls to type 1 diabetic, it's very obvious that the T cells within the pancreas of type 1 diabetics are angry in that they're activated as seen by KS67, a marker of proliferation, as well as the expression of Grand Zambia and perforin, which again are markers of activated T cells. So it's really a very, very dramatic difference. And of course, it makes sense in the disease, but this was a lovely way to document it. I should also note that my lab, who does the uh, imaging mass cytometry, was confirmed this on the tissue section using a different methodology as well. Um, now I want to tell you about two unexpected findings that came out of HPAP, um, and I think this, to me, documents how useful it has been to establish this program and to analyze uh, human tissue sections. So we'll go back to what happens in, in time, type 1 diabetes to the islets. It's very clear, of course, we have the loss of beta cells, and that's what the whole world has been fo uh, focusing on. However, we actually, through HPAP, were able to identify a new defect and surprising defect in pancreatic alpha cells. So we started, as I said, the analysis always includes uh, hormone secretion studies. This is in GAD autoantibody positive individuals so that we considered stage zero because they don't have two autoantibodies, only one. And you can see, if you look at insulin secretion, comparing the controls in black to the uh, autoantibody positive in red, the curves are identical. And what you see here is you get Nice stimulation of insulin secretion with 16 millimolar glucose. G stands for glucose here, so nice stimulation. And if you add um, an agent that increases cyclic AMP level called IBMX, you increase insulin secretion even further. 
So that was known before, and as expected, the single autoantibody pass beta cells function perfectly well. We can, if you quantify this to the area which is the glucose stimulation here, again, there's no difference. If you look at the IBMX stimulation on the right here, again, there's no difference. So the surprise came when we looked at the glucagon secretion, which is you know, not often done, but we done, uh, done by our uh, HPR program here. And where glucagon secretion works, of course, the glucagon secretion is suppressed by glucose. So in the black curve are the controls here. You have stimulated glucagon secretion, then you dial in glucose, glucagon secretion is decreased, you put in more glucose, you secrete even further. Remarkably, if you do this in islets from autoantibody positive individuals, the glucose suppression is not working or not working well at all. And this is the quantification at three millimolar glucose, statistically, statistically significant difference between the two groups. And the same is true at 60 millimolar glucose. Again, a dramatic difference in the suppression of uh, uh, glucose secretion. So this is new novel biology that was not known before. The nice thing about HRV is that we, of course, obtain data on the same organ donors in multiple modalities. And what we had was single-cell RNA-seq data from all these islets. So that allowed us to select only the alpha cells from the single-cell RNA-seq data and look at gene expression in those alpha cells. And what we found is quite remarkable in that um, on the left here, you see something called a gene set enrichment analysis where we can look at all the genes um, that are involved in glycolysis and gluconeogenesis. And you can you know, see on the top, these lines here, individual genes in these pathways. And you can see that a whole bunch of these are down-regulated in the GAT-A single autoantibody positive individuals compared to the controls. And if you look at some of these genes individually, you can see very famous genes here, glucokinase, it's well, for instance, is in here. And um, the red dots here are always the GAD autoantibody positives, the blue controls. And in every single case, you can see higher expression controls and lower in the autoantibody positive. And this is actually very satisfying because you need glucose metabolism through glycolysis and oxidative phosphorylation to turn off glucose secretion alpha cells. And therefore, if this whole set of enzymes is expressed at lower levels, glucose will not be as effective in suppressing glucose secretion. Again, a completely novel defect in alpha cells seen in or, already in single autoantibody positive individuals. And this actually fits nicely here in the, in the middle of the gap autoantibody positive individuals to what was described by Marcella Bisova and um, Al Powers before, in, on alpha cells in type 1 diabetic patients, so these with frank, type, uh, frank diabetes, which also had found altered alpha cell gene expression and loss of glucose suppression. We now document that this actually starts to occur in single autoantibody positive individuals. Now, this raises an interesting possibility, and that is, could it be that in the earliest stages, you know, stage zero, if you wish, of the autoimmune disease, that defects in the alpha cells um, contribute to the triggering event um, in, an autoimmune, in the autoimmune process. This has to be determined in the future, um, but I think it's interesting to note that many, many of the proteins that are present in pancreatic beta cells are, of course, also present in alpha cells, and among them, GAT65, which is the autoantigen to which these autoantibodies are uh, reactive to. So that was surprise number one. And then briefly, surprise number two, and that has to do um, with 
um, how our multimodal uh, analysis of single cell data uh, was able to tell us something about novel states in type 1 diabetes. So here, same uh, principle, we compare and controls, autoantibody positive, but normal glycemic individuals with type 1 diabetics. In this case, we did single cell RNA-seq at that time of 80,000 cells, 1 million cells, which we quantified by imaging mass cytometry, where we can look at 40 different proteins at the same time, and 7 million cells by flow cytop, again with 40 proteins, which we developed for um, pancreatic islets. And we can then, again, integrate all these data together. And there's two small, interesting findings in here. The first has to do with the GAD autoantibody positive individuals, all normal glycemic. It turns out, of course, the levels of GAD autoantibodies vary in the blood of these people, right? So you can then plot increasing GAD levels. You can actually correlate that with a specific gene signature in one of the beta subtypes called the beta-1 cell type. You can see that these genes, about 1,500 of these, 1500 of these beta cell express genes uh, increase as high and, and correlate very well with the level of GAD. How this happens and what this means, we don't know yet, but it's certainly the first time that this has been described. Secondly, and this was even more puzzling, uh, data came from when we actually looked at the pancreatic ducts, which we normally ignore, because all they do is they uh, take digestive enzymes produced by the excrement pancreas and uh, conduct it uh, to the duodenum, right? And you can tell pancreatic duct cells by in, uh, standing for cytokarin shown in red here. What we noticed was that, in fact, many of these cells are also positive for HLA-DR, which is one of the class two HLA uh, proteins. You can see many of these cells are now also green, so double positive. And this suggested then something very strange, how ductal epithelial cells might have a role in antigen presentation. So because we had single-cell RNA-seq data, we can actually dig into this a bit farther. Oh, sorry, before I get to that, these cells are present in every individual, a small subset of the cytokeratin positive um, ductal cells also express HLA-DR. But when you look at the different donor groups, you can see that the vast majority of these occur in type 1 diabetic individuals. If you plot this by group, again, highly statistically significant increase in these uh, strange cells in the type 1 diabetic pancreas. Um, and as I said, when we looked at the gene expression of these uh, of these particular cells, we subsetted for being cytokeratin positive and expressing HLIDR, we found that they actually expressed a, a gene set that had been described previously for dendritic cells, specifically th those dendritic cells which adopt a tolerogenic phenotype, meaning these dendritic cells actually suppress the T cell response instead of stimulating it. And in fact, this gene set is highly enriched in these unusual ductal epithelial cells in the type 1 diabetic pancreas. So the way we interpret this is as follows. Exocrine ductal cells might acquire a signature of tolerogenic dendritic cells in the parent, although of course ultimately unsuccessful attempt at immune suppression in the type 1 diabetic pancreas. And again, this is a, a finding that's novel for out of HPAP. So lastly, then, I want to tell you about what, of course, the very important goal of HPEP is to distribute high-value data set to the diabetes research community. And how do we do that? Well, the one, of course, is obvious to our publications. And it turns out since 2018, 
HPEP contributed to 21 papers in, in really high profile journals. But notably, out of these, only 11 are peer reviewed publications published by our own team. Seven actually were uh, papers coming from outside users who simply took the data, analyzed themselves, and published their own paper, most of the time without us even knowing about it. Okay. So, how do you get access to the data? This is done by our database called PankDB. This was upgraded just in May so that now not only can you download donor information on all the experimental data, but you can even perform interactive analysis on the data sets, in particular gene expression data, um, on directly on this, on this, on this database. Sorry, excuse me. And just in the six months period here, you see that we had 154 individual users who downloaded over 35,000 files from HML. And again, you don't have to ask permission from anybody. All you have to do is go to the website, register, and say you agree to cite HPAP in your publication. And that's all that's needed to uh, gain access to the data. And here are actually some of these papers. You know, For instance, one from Dizia Eiserich in iScience recently looking at the transcriptions of alpha and beta cells comparing type 1 to type 2 diabetes. Great study. We weren't aware of this, but good use of the data. Um, another one of self-targeting, uh, self-antigens targeting T cells, again, making use of the data and so forth and so on. So we're very happy that the community at large is actually making use of the data that HRO is, is producing. So to summarize then, we are very grateful to the donors and their families. Without that, there wouldn't be any HPAP. The leadership team already introduced. And these are the principal investigators that conduct various aspects of the work that HPAP has done. So I thank you for your attention. I'd be happy to take any questions. Yeah, I, I wanted to just kind of press a little bit about, you know, okay, so now this shift of maybe it, for some individuals or some, there, this, this potential endotype of um, the alpha cell goes offline first, right? Mm -hmm. Or just dysfunctional. So in those cases, um, when you looked at the histology of these, you know, individuals later, um, can you see, you know, the, the cellular defects in the alpha cells, or do you see a disappearance of those alpha cells if they've, uh, like you see with the disappearance of the beta cells, or is it just, you know? Uh, right. Yeah, an interesting question. So, of course, as is, the, as is the nature of human subject research with a deceased organ donors, we have exactly one time point, right? So, and this is all people who are still normal glycemic. And we did, in fact, do very careful um, islet morphometry. We stained multiple markers for alpha cells and beta cells. And alpha cell and beta cell mass are completely normal in these individuals. So the alpha cells are still there. They're just not functioning, norm functioning normally. Yes. Thank you. And, and then, you know, what are your thoughts around just sort of this is a speculative, of course, but, you know, developing a therapy for those that do have this alpha cell dysfunction? I mean, because primarily, you know, the big targets up until, you know, recently have been, you know, resurrecting the beta cell or dampening the immune system. But if you want to talk about the alpha cell now as being center stage or maybe primary for some individuals, how, how might you address that? Very, very good question. I, I, for, and I think the answers differ a little bit when you think about type 1 diabetes and type 2 diabetes. So I think for type 1 diabetes, um, 
first of all, be curious to figure out why the alpha cells misfunction. I do not know that, and we have no idea at the present time. Is that, in fact, a consequence to the initiating immune, immune attack, or is it one of the causes of this? So we do not know that one way or the other. Um, and the next thing would be that if it were to contribute to the immune attack, would be to not, would be able would have to determine what are the antigens that are presented both by alpha cells and beta cells that might might be uh, initiate this process might be involved in this. So that's sort of I think way more of a research side, a research product which might take many years. For type two diabetes, I think there we're a lot closer in that. Um, Many people have argued for uh, for 30 years that type 2 diabetes is actually bihormonal disease, meaning you don't have enough insulin secretion, but you also have too much glucagon secretion. And there are, in fact, targets um, in the, the glycolytic pathway that can, uh, can address both of them at the same time, meaning there would be, you could decrease glucagon secretion and insulin, increase insulin secretion at the same time. So that, I think, is a little bit closer to becoming reality. Okay. Um, and I also just wanted to give a shout out here to the collaborative process. You know, you've got Desio Zurich at the ULB, so across the pond there, right? And so it's a European reach there. Um, and I think, you know, the more collaboration between great minds wherever they are is important. Um, so that's a very nice feature of this uh, program that you've got going. Also, you know, finally, we're at the with the we were at the the end of our time here. But I would like to say that, um, you know, what is your ex? Just a quickly, what is your expectation for the, you know, evolution in the coming year or two of HPAP? Yeah, so I think that there's two parts. One is methodolog methodologically, and one is um, scientifically. I guess methodologically. Um, the good news is that in the molecular field, there's constantly new developments. And one thing that we'll be adopting uh, starting in March is a process or methodology called spatial transcriptomics. Yeah. Um, yes, there's now methods available that can actually do this at the subcellular level. And uh, with looking at more than a thousand transcripts at the same time. So we're collaborating with a company to make a panel that's specific to the genes that are relevant to the human pancreas. So that should be able to do that in March. And the nice thing there is we can do this going all the way back with archival samples, back to HPEP case number one, and then uh, fill in the data on this. So that's where that goes. Um, the other thing that I'm, we are quite interesting is to expand our number, especially as it comes to the different ethnicities, right? So we want to know, are there difference in the you know Im immune tissue interaction in the pancreas between depending on the your ancestry basically and uh, as we're recruiting more and more of uh, people of different of african-american african ancestry as well as hispanics we might be able to actually uh, get to that point in the future okay um here's uh from george harb thank you klaus great to see mechanism uncovered between behind the positive correlation between the um, number of ductal cells implanted and long-term metabolic success in aloe islet transplants. Yeah, so for the people that are interested in islet transplantation, uh, the vertexes, et cetera, of the world, um, right? This is, this is important and relevant information. 
Um, okay, well, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time with us. Uh, it was informative and it was inclusive and it looks like you know there's a lot of value to be had for um, those in the scientific community to do some deep dives into HPAP. And thank you so very much. Thank you again, have a great rest of your day. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye everyone.